5th, 2021. My name is Kellen Conley, and this is Hyphenation. And right off the bat, this whole episode is sponsored by water. But before we do anything, before we do anything else, as I catch my water and put it back, before we do anything else, Morgantown Weather Report. That's right. That's what you're all here for. So I'm going to give it to you. And that's going to lead me right into something I'm about to talk about. So Morgantown Weather Report. It is currently 71 in Westover, even though I'm not in Westover technically. 71 in Westover. Let me see if I can get a refresh on this. No. Okay. Good job. Uh, then tomorrow we are looking at highs of 77, partly cloudy, looking good. Let's check out the 10 day. So a little bit of scattered showers on Thursday and isolated thunderstorms on Friday, but it looks like we're going to be holding steady in the sixties and seventies for the next 10 days, man. I can feel spring in the air. It's coming right along so nicely. So nicely, man. <sighs> it's it's good to be back. It is good to be back with y'all. It's been a crazy couple of weeks. But um, I would be remiss if I didn't just go ahead and jump right into it. DMX, Earl Simmons, he overdosed over the weekend. And the overdose caused him to have a heart attack, and he is currently in a vegetative state at the hospital. Uh, last time I looked it up, his kids were flying in to see him. They don't think DMX will make it. <sighs> um, of course, last time that DMX really made a cultural impact was over last summer when him and Snoop Dogg came together for their versus competition. And DMX, while he looked looked not he didn't look like the ex of old, he looked happy to be alive. He's having fun with Snoop. I don't recall him drinking or smoking or anything. He seemed to be sober and living his best life. And it, it, we were we were glad to see some on my table. You, we were glad to see the dark man, CX back in that light. Um, for those who don't know, he dropped his own version of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That's on Spotify right now. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> I cannot lie. It's pretty awesome. Uh, so you, you can check that out. Shout out to Austin for sending that to me. But more importantly than all of that, DMX had one of the most impactful It was a moment, moment, uh, most impactful moment on hip hop and its young history. I mean, some of y'all may recall when 50 Cent came out and that was 2003 and he had been burning up the mixtapes and then Get Rich or Die Trying came out and then the club came out and it was 50, 50, 50, 50, 50. Or some of y'all may recall when Carter 2 came out and then it was Wayne, 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 and it was Wayne, 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 all the way up through Carter 3. And Wayne was everywhere. DMX did that without a mixtape. Did it the old-fashioned way. He came in the game. He was signed to Def Jam. He signed to this label, Rough Riders. And he had a couple guest appearances. Like, he, he was on 4321 by LL Cool J. 
He was on Money, Power, and Respect by The Locks. He was on 24 Hours to Live by Mace. And this, these are all songs that came out in 97. And, you know, I had no clue, but I'm sure in the industry around that time, there were rumblings that uh, something was coming, something different was coming for the streets because we had just come out of, well, we weren't even out of it yet. The Jiggy era was in full swing, the shiny suit era with Diddy and, and Mace uh, running things pretty much. And after Biggie's death, it was literally bad boy everything all the way through 97 into early 98. <sighs> and then the first time I saw, saw DMX, man, it, it was a music video. And it was Stop Being Greedy. No, sorry. Let's get at me, dog. It was a black and white video. It had Sheik of the Locks on it. And everybody's like, what? Sheik of the Locks? Why is Sheik on this record? Because by that time, the Locks had just come out. So it really wasn't even, it really wasn't even a clamoring for, it was like the group. They wanted, they always wanted the group. It wasn't Styles and Jada. It wasn't Jada. It wasn't Styles. And definitely nobody expecting Sheik Looch. Who who wasn't even Sheik Looch yet? He was just Sheik. Sheik of the Locks. Still signed a bad boy. And that song. What must I go through to show you real? And I don't even never give a fuck what they feel. Like it was a shock to the system. Like, what is this? Who who was this bald dude with the, the chain and his black and white video and all these hood dudes? Just getting it. It's awesome. It's amazing. What is it? And and from there, he he dropped the video for Stop Being Greedy, one of my all-time favorite DMX songs. And I'm not gonna look it up because I just wanna be uh be raw with y'all right now. He dropped his first album, It's Dark and Ellis High. And shortly after that, especially summer 98, everywhere you went, stop, drop, shut them down, open up shop. Oh, no, that's how Rough Riders roll. It was everywhere. With those keys. <laughs> Something new. And then gone. For someone like me who had just got into rap when Pac and Biggie had passed. And was really living off of the sounds of no Way Out and Will Smith's Big Willie style album. Sorry, not sorry. Even though Will Willinium holds up better than Big Willie style. I mean, we can talk about it. It's okay. And that's the whole album. Not just Will 2K, because Will 2K is a dope song too. Why am I talking about Will Smith? Sorry. DMX was my first real hood nigga. I'm just going to say it. 
I had never heard something that raw. And y'all can say, oh, well, what about all these other records that you've heard over the years, like NWA or, or early Snoop and stuff? I wasn't exposed to that till later. I didn't have access. I had to pick all that stuff up as I grew more into knowing about hip-hop. X-Men. I mean, I'm just a kid from Winchester, Virginia, who's living in Cape Bridge, West Virginia who decided you want to start writing raps. And all of a sudden I got this guy talking about being the, the baddest, you know, but also being real while being the baddest, which is just crazy. There was never anything DMX said that felt fake. So... I feel like I may have had, I had some kind of, um, there's definitely an edit. I remember there being an edit of some DMX, or of, of It's Dark and Hell is High. I don't remember if Matt had it and I ripped it off him and I was playing that. But no, I don't, I don't remember edit too much. So when I got my hands on that tape, when I got my hands on that DMX tape, man. It's like sound advice or whatever. It's like comics, conventions, and cosplay or whatever. It's like ladies night or whatever. It's like wrestling or whatever. It's like parenting or whatever. It's like anime or whatever. It's like spiritual warfare or whatever. It's like great friends, awesome people coming around doing what we do best or whatever. You should watch, listen, and follow or whatever. It's like a podcast or whatever. It blew my mind from, from the opening song all the way through. It's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece doesn't get talked about a lot. And I want to make sure that I talk about how great It's Dark and Hell is Hot is. Sorry, how great It's Dark and Hell is Hot is before X might check out. Ultimately, he might check out. But let's be for real. And if you can hear me, X, I just want you to know how much that album meant to me. It's a perfect hip-hop album. You can put that album up against anything and it stands a chance, a better than a chance of going over an amazing album and I, I used to just sit I don't know how I got away playing that album as much as I did because my, my parents did not like to hear me playing music that had cursing in it it just kind of depends on the mood sometimes I get away through the other time and be like what are you doing like Ugh. Don't take my music. Don't take my music. And when the video came out for how it's going down, I mean, they tweaked it a little bit, added faith, cleaned it up a little bit. But I knew what the real version was. But I could not get enough of 
DMX, it's dark and hell is hot. I couldn't get enough of any of it. The whole album, mostly, was produced by Dame Grease. A lot of people forget that. Dame Grease and X were ultimately responsible for a lot of the sound that came out of that album. Gotti was involved. Swiss did Rough Riders Anthem. Can't take that away from him. But it was a lot of Dane and X, and they created magic. So when I found out in, what, September, August, September, October, September-ish, that he's going to do another album, he's dropping another album, I was like, there's no way. Like, he's going to drop two albums in the same year? That's That's crazy. Who does that? Nobody did that. And nobody went number one with both of their debut albums either. In the same year, that is. So, Fallen came out. And the crazy thing about Fallen, <laughs> they, they, DMX had no radio version, okay? So everything X said on the record, they had to bleep out for the video. And the video was real dope. And it told a good story. The hook was dope. Oh, I'm slipping. I'm falling. I can't get up. Hey, yo, I'm slipping. It, it was so good, man. But I swear, to, I swear to goodness, you could not understand that record if you're listening to the radio version. Because it's... Silence, 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 silence. Then... It was heavily edited, especially on the MTV and BET versions. <laughs> but I was like, man, this, this is a good record. This is a good record. I, I like this song. So it was probably... I don't, I don't know. Sometime in 99, when I first got to really sit down and listen to Flesh of My Flesh, Blood of My Blood. And I personally was disappointed with it. It had its moments, but it didn't have the same, it didn't resonate the same as Is Dark and Hell is Hot did for me. And I know there's plenty of people out there who love it, and I'm not trying to sit here and criticize his music. I'm just telling you my DMX story right now. Maybe it was because everybody went so crazy over Rough Riders Anthem, and Swiss was really, that, that's like Swiss's first major look. Like he, I mean, Rough Riders Anthem put him on, but Flesh My Flesh was as much his music and his beats as it was DMX's voice. And that kind of set the stage for him to go on and become what he's become today. But I, I didn't love it. I respected the hell out of him for it. I, I thought it was, I thought it was real cool. I, it just didn't resonate the same, but I always had it's dark and hell is hot. His third album came out. And then there was X. And I will never forget, there's actually two times for the same record. I will never forget when I first heard What's My Name? Because I saw the video first, and I, I don't know if he did make a video for that, but I remember it, and it was mind-blowing. It was a hard record. <laughs> What's my name? DMX, and I be the best. You see the wrestling looking like they need a rest. One more time. Loved it. 
But then, then, when I got my hands on that dirty version, it is not a fucking game. You niggas ready or what? Mm. That's all right, now. D M A one, you got it. Come and get it. Wait, all you gotta do is say it, baby. Right? Oh, what you really want? One time, me and my boy Thomas, who's been on the pod before, we did that Walking Dead episode way back in the archives. We were getting drunk at my old house. Getting drunk, we were drunk, and somehow at like two thirty in the morning, we're in my room playing DMX records, not very quietly. Somehow, I didn't get yelled at for that. I don't know how, but we were both in major agreements about how great What's My Name was. So shout out to my man DJ Wise. I managed to get the whole, and then there was X album. Maybe it was DJ Wise, maybe I ripped it off someone else. And I really, I'm an, and then, and I am a, and then there was X apologist. One of my favorite DMX songs is on there. Here we go again. Super dope. Great song. Hard white DXLs on there with the locks. They killed it. It was more of a balance of different producers along with Swiss who was more refining his sound. It wasn't just so much keys. It was him branching out into different lanes and stuff. And then in the middle of it all, there was X. Strong and steady, man. One last thing I want to mention about X. He came to Morgantown once. He did a show at the Coliseum. It was 2003. I had just moved up here. And me and Angel were in the mall. And all of a sudden we just see this crowd following this person. Now he was in this crowd, this person. They're all around him and they're just moving with him and we're just like watching, watching him go by. It's like this. And I'm looking, I'm like, yo, that's DMX. Apparently DMX had stopped the Morgantown Mall of all places, went to the Gabe's that was then attached to the mall. Right? Gabe's has always been attached to the mall, wasn't it? Or maybe he had went up to Gabe's afterwards. Was walking through the mall and had ended up at Gabe's at some point and bought some Thames up there. Some cheap Thames from Gabe's. And I just remember this whole massive crowd just following him. And this is after the Great Depression came out in 2001. And may have either been before or after Grand Champ came out in 2003. And then from there, the the drug problems and problems with the law just escalated. And it wasn't that long ago that he had checked himself back into rehab to kind of make sure he stayed straight and narrow. And before that, he did a prison bid. X became more of a punchline than anything else. But when we saw him last summer, it felt good. It felt like we were going to get him back. It felt like, if anything, we had we were going to get one 
more DMX moment. Like he still had just one more in the chamber for us. Whether his voice sounded different, whether I, I think it's I think he was re-signed with Def Jam and everything. Like I I feel like and ultimately we may still get it, but it won't be the same if he's not here. You know that. We all know that. But I, I don't want to get too sappy. I don't feel like crying on the pod today. But I, I do want to take this time and just and just reach out, use my psychic ability, reach out there and put this energy into the world for real, though. DMX, Earl, X, Darkman. I appreciate all the joy that you brought into my life through your work and all the joy that you brought to millions around the world. Nobody struck the landscape of hip-hop quite like you did, and no one probably ever will again. There will be people who will always sell records, there will always be the next big thing, but there will always only be one DMX. And you're it, obviously. It sucks that you're... that. You can't escape your demons, and this might be the final go-around. This might be your last fight. But it's very important to me to just let you know your impact and how much you influenced the little black kid who was literally stuck in a country town that had a, a single road to drive through the main strip of it and how much you meant to me and how much your your sound helped shape me. Um, there there was some comments I, I was listening to earlier on a podcast about how certain rappers, when they portray, portray a certain thing to the youth, the youth ends up growing into that thing they're portraying, even if the rappers really weren't about that, which I believe to be true. But I want to let you know that despite everything you rapped about, the hood, drugs, women, fame, um, killing, murder, robbing, stealing, all those things that I've never done. Other, I've had women. All those things, you know, it's like, the ATF busting in, all those things that you rapped about. I could see the images in my head when you're rapping on ATF. I can hear you having this, I can visually see you having this conversation with Damien. But at the same time, I was able to take what you were saying, enjoy it for what it was, and then not take that with me out into my regular life. Now, I know that's not everybody, but I do not agree with anybody who says, who wants to blame um, music that was made in 1988 on how the kids were raised today. Yeah, did it affect some things? Sure, but to blame a whole entire, uh, blame these guys who may have been portraying an image uh, for the mistakes of the next generation came up behind them just because they, they were saying certain things in the music, that's a bunch of bullshit. Just my thoughts. I'm not going to go any further than that. I'm a little annoyed on that. But 
Seriously, though, X, I, I do appreciate you. I think you're, think you're great, one of the greatest. And I really hope that somehow, by some miracle, you have more time with us, more healthy time with us. If not, thank you for everything you've done for, for hip-hop, for rap, for me, for everybody who's ever been a fan of yours. And um, rest easy. Rest well currently, and if this is the last time we talk while you're alive, rest well. Next topic. Oh, man. Sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I had to do it. I mean, he, he, I could literally be on here and he could have passed. I, I don't know. I'm going to get my, my podcast and one-on-one on real quick, just to, just to make sure. All right, I don't see anything about him passing, so everything seems to be okay right now. He's still alive. He's still with us. But I always say you should give people their flowers while they're still here. In case I didn't say it, this episode is sponsored by Water. Hyphen Nation is brought to you by Hyphen Podcast Group, bringing great podcasts to the people. HyphenPodcastGroup.com and also by Mark Robb, written by my semi-regular co-host, Marcus Show and Mad Love Robinson. He writes prolific paragraphs of pontifications like when my man decided he had to use his PTO because he had 100 hours bank and his job made him leave. And he said, I'm going to go on a road trip. And he rented a car. And then he messes the Brain Trust uh, group chat. He's like, oh, I'm in California. No big deal. Sending pine pine trees. (laughs) Sending palm trees. Um, And he wrote about being in San Francisco. It it was a nice little piece. The Mark Rob. WordPress.com. Again, that's T-H-E-M-A-R-C-R-O-B. WordPress.com. Check him out. So, I'm I'm going to move to something a little bit better, a little bit more, you know, happier. Because I want to talk about Elger Baylor, too, uh, because he passed two weeks ago. R.I.P. to Elger, man. But I don't want to go uh, almost death to death, you know. So, pre-COVID, 2019... Any of y'all followed a certain little actor? I don't know. His name's Will Smith. I mentioned him earlier. Look how things keep tying together. He was shooting a film with Martin Lawrence, and the movie was called Bad Boys for Life. It was going to be the third Bad Boys movie. Yes, in 2019, a third sequel was shot, or as a second sequel, a second sequel was shot of the 1995 original movie. Why? Who? Money! I almost said, who knows? It's for the money! Do your Doslam dance. It's for the money. And I was like, man, these little, these little, IG videos and YouTube videos of them together on on set and a little now that I know the TikToks they're cute they're funny but I know this movie's gonna suck man but 
as the criminally underrated Men in Black 3 has taught me. You really shouldn't underestimate Will Smith in a third movie, a third sequel. Sidebar. After Aaliyah was born, which was almost seven years ago, 15 days, she'll be seven. I was doing laundry one night and I was like, oh, let me see. Because what would happen is we'd have Aaliyah up all day and then uh, Aaliyah would, would get, I'd get Aaliyah asleep and then an Angel would be exhausted. So Angel would go to bed. And so I would be up a little bit later on like Sunday nights uh, doing laundry and stuff and, you know, just kind of watching some TV, kind of have some me time, you know? And I turned on Men in Black 3 or maybe even I DVR'd it. And I, I started watching it one night when Aaliyah would wake up. Because Aaliyah would wake up in the middle of the night all the time. All the time. And I would go get her. That, that was our special time that we had. I'd, give, I'd feed her, put her back to sleep. And then I'd be watching TV while I had her. And then eventually I'd go lay her back down. And I'd go back to sleep. But that whole process, it was unpredictable enough where I couldn't time it down to feeder or change your feeder rocker or burper swaddle her put her asleep play her down and it'd be boom 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 sometimes she wouldn't want to sleep like you know sometimes I I'd have I would have her swaddled and rocking her rubbing her back for like what felt like 45 minutes and I go to turn her I go to pick her up to carrier and she looks at me like oh, I was like what's up my my bad I thought you were asleep little girl so in those instances I had a DVR full of stuff I I watched the 2012 Ninja Turtles TV show and fell in love with it for the first time um back then I remember watching Monsters University caught a lot of the uh, 2014 NBA playoffs like a lot of the late replays I'd watch some of those so just various things. And one night, I'm pretty sure I DVR'd Men in Black 3. And i pretty sure I started it one night. And then Aaliyah woke up and I was watching the next day. Or essentially, it was the next day. I was watching it while I was trying to get her back to sleep. And Men in Black 3, I think, is really good. I enjoy Men in Black 3. It's way better than Travesty of Men in Black 2. <laughs> Men in Black 2 is a mess. And Men in Black 3, it's a, it's a little weird in spots. It has a way less Tommy Lee Jones in it. But I think the whole plot, and especially uh, Josh Brolin's uh, performance as young Tommy Lee, well, he was Agent J and uh, Will, or Will Smith was Agent J. What was Tommy Lee? Agent Q? Was he Q? I feel like he was Q. I'm not going to check. Or was Q another agent? Ugh. I don't want to look. I don't want to look. Let's just let's look at anyway. Just so that I'm not disgracing the the great name of Tommy Lee Jones. Agent K. Hey, that's the that's my name. I'm I'm Agent K. So, but it was a really good movie anyway. But yeah, when I saw Martin Lawrence and. Will Smith getting back together to do another Bad Boys and had these young directors who I didn't know about. I was like, ah. Oh. Let me tell you, the first Bad Boys, perfect. 
the second Bad Boys, perfect to me. Yes, it has its flaws. You can you can pick it apart about certain things that are are done wrong in a movie. Uh, they are Michael both Michael Bay movies, I believe, because he has like a cameo in this one, even though he didn't direct. And take that as you will if you're not a Michael Bay fan, which most people aren't. But I did like the '95, and I liked Bad Boys Two in 2003. Thought they were both very solid films. So when Three Bad Boys for Life came out, I was like, oh man. And this was one of the last movies to come out before COVID hit. And I, I was hearing that it wasn't bad. It was actually pretty good, you know? And I was like, really? Like, really? How, how did that happen? Who knows? I don't know. Do you know? <laughs> and... You know, like over the months of being in quarantine, like it eventually made its way to streaming services. And I just never felt the need to watch Bad Boys for Life. I was like, oh, I'll catch it. I'll catch it. I'll catch it. I um then, probably within the last few weeks, signed up for Stars on my Fire, Fire TV. Uh, they had like some specials, like $2.99 until August, but then I ended up canceling it anyway. So I have Stars until like April something, April 9th, April 8th, something like that. So I watched Bad Boys for Life, and I watched the first half of the movie. No spoilers. Not going to spoil it. Not this time. One, the chemistry between Smith and Lawrence is still there after all these years. The writing is still crisp. I think it's my first time in life that I remember Will Smith saying nigga. He did say that. I don't remember if he said it in... Nope, that's not true. He said in Bad Boys 2. Because that's when one of you ludicrous looking motherfuckers came to the door. So I, I forgot about that, my bad. But even 25 years later, 20 years, well, let's say 24 years later, after they shot the first Bad Boys, even if they shot in, 20, in 94, came out in 95, whatever, even with all the time that they've spent apart and off these sets, their chemistry is just brilliant. Marcus... And and Mike Larry are iconic characters. They're horrible cops, at least when it comes to collateral damage. But they get the job done at the end of the movie, you know. Bad Boys made Will Smith into an action star, along with Independence Day the next year, 96. Uh, Martin Lawrence then went on to go back to Martin and kind of in that on a whimper with everything that happened between him and Tisha in, in the last season and stuff. But, I mean, it also proved that Martin kind of had some action chops too. And Martin never really tapped back into it. I mean, he had like Blue Streak and stuff like that, but it was nothing compared to Bad Boys and Bad Boys 2, Martin. The continuity is respected throughout the movie, so stuff that happened in, in 1 and 3 and 2 is mentioned, uh, familiar faces are back, that you expect to be there, the captain's back, it's awesome, you got the young crowd, with this group called Ammo, um, running around, and you got Vanessa Hudgensons in that, there is this gorgeous actress, who I'm going to look up her name, who is, she plays Rita in the movie, and she's absolutely great in the movie, um, Rita Bad Boys for Life, 
Her name is actually Paola Paola pa- Paola Nunes. Loved her. Um, so she was real cool in it. But the movie is actually cool. It's got a nice little plot to it. It's probably the bloodiest Bad Boys. Let me tell you that right off. The first Bad Boys had its moments. Bad Boys 2 up the ante a little bit for 2003 standards. This movie's violent. It's very violent. And they don't shy away from it. But it's work. it works. It's not like RoboCop violent. See, we should do this again sometime very soon for Robo, RoboCop. The RoboCop takes by Cat and Mark. Not RoboCop takes. That's I will not touch that with a 10-foot pole. Great action. The story is real cool. Smith and Lawrence are both going for it the whole movie. They hit all the key points. It's funny. Has plenty of action. There was literally an action sequence about... It's like midway through the film. After they're in the club. I can tell you that. After they're in the club. this The action sequence right after the club scene... I was literally sitting up in my bed. I was so into what was happening on the screen. I was like, dang, this is good. This is good. This works. I like it. I like it a lot. And I, I just didn't expect it. I, I I really thought they were going to just turn in a little dud. I mean, I haven't seen the past few Will Smith movies. Like the one when he's fighting his younger self or uh, the one that he had on Netflix break. I, I didn't watch that, but I hadn't heard great things about him. And I was like, Oh, it's a Will Smith movie. And the big knock about Will Smith is Will Smith's always playing Will Smith. That's the only thing Will Smith can do. Apparently, even though people have seen Ali and even if you didn't love the story of how Ali was executed or, or yeah, even if you didn't love what was done with the Ali movie and you didn't see your favorite parts or you feel like certain things are left out or they watered it down. Will Smith still, still did a pretty phenomenal version of, Ali, and he had Ali's blessing. Uh, Pursuit of Happiness, still a, a solid movie all the way through. Um, you, you can't you can't knock the man's skills, but he does get a lot of shit for playing himself. And the Bad Boys franchise is is one of the few times that you don't feel like Will Smith on the screen, especially especially in this movie. Like you can say, okay, that's Will Smith in Bad Boys One, but you also feel like Mark or Michael Mike Larry is a separate person. Same in Bad Boys 2. In Bad Boys for Life, Mike Lowry and Will Smith, like, Will Smith actually disappears off the screen at times for me on Bad Boys for Life. Just because he's so convincing in the role. He he really dove in. And Marcus Burnett is just such a lovable goofball who's his best friend. That's easy for Martin to do. And Martin pulls it off perfect. Not a not a whole lot of heavy lifting. Worst thing he had to do was action sequences when he, his stuntman was in there. But it's it's great. It's great, man. It's funny. It's great. It's better. It might be my favorite Bad Boys entry. As much as I love 1, 2, and 3, honestly, they're, they're a great trilogy. And you don't get very many great trilogies. Like, for me, Back to the Future, Back to the Future 1, 2, 3, they're perfect trilogy. Um, I would say the first Star Wars, the... The uh the 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 original trilogy, uh that that's a perfect trilogy, um. Matrix, no, 
<laughs> the Matrix is not perfect. Uh, as much as I was like, oh man, Matrix, Matrix Reloaded is so cool. Like, there's no way anybody could sit through Revolutions and be like, they they nailed it. <laughs> Revolutions, damn it. Ninja Turtles 1, 2, and 3. They they got the first one perfect. The second one was okay. It had Ninja Rap in it. And the third one, everything kind of went off the rails, even though they had a pretty cool time travel idea. But the Turtles look horrible in that movie. So. It's hard to pull off the, th- the three movies that are all dope. India, uh, Temple of Doom. Not Temple of Doom. How about we go Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom, and... Um... 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 What what's the last one? Um the last Indiana Jones movie when when they go and they look for um Last Crusade. That's a perfect trilogy. It's it's not easy, but they managed to do it. So, one of my first recommendations besides y'all go and listen to some DMX music is y'all gots y'all gots to go y'all gots to go and Get you some bad boys for life in your life. I'm thinking about making a purchase so just so I can get the digital download. I, I'm really into this movie. I think it's really good. So, I just wanted to tell y'all about that. I, I was real excited when I watched it because I've been struggling here trying to figure out some topics and stuff. Especially when I'm sitting down by myself. I got I got some things planned. I actually have something in in the queue right now. But I had I had to come on here and talk about these things. So, it was nice to see that and be like, yes, I can talk about that on the pod for sure. Next topic. Now, we already talked about DMX at the top of the show. And I, I've mentioned this gentleman already once before. But I do want to send another big shout out to Elgin Baylor who passed away at 86. Elgin played for the Minneapolis, 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 and the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm just going to read you the stats because they're right here in front of me. 11-time NBA All-Star, NBA All-Star Game MVP, 10-time All-NBA First Team, Rookie of the Year in 1959, he was on the NBA 35th anniversary team. He was on the NBA 50th anniversary all-time team. His number 22 is retired by the Lakers. He was the number one pick. Um, let's see, for his career, he averaged 20, no, I'm sorry, he scored 23,000 points, 3,000 assists, and 11,000 rebounds over on all those numbers. 71 points was the franchise record until some guy named Kobe scored 81 on January 22nd, 1997. That just so happened to be my birthday. Or was it 2008? One of those days, it was definitely on January 22nd. One of those years. Uh, he actually holds the points record for most points in the NBA Finals. You may think it's Michael Jordan, possibly. When MJ dropped 55 on the Suns in Game 3 of the 1993 NBA Finals. Was it Game 3? It was Game 3. Because, let's see. They won Game 1 and Game 2. Game 3... Was was game three triple over? Game three might have been triple overtime. Game four is probably when he dropped fifty five. 
And then game five is when the Bulls could have closed them out and the Suns won and sent it back to Phoenix. You may think that Michael may have had that record or that Michael's 63 points in the NBA in uh, the first round would be the, and I think that is the most in the playoffs still, 63 points. But Elgin dropped 61 points in game five of the 62 finals. And they still didn't win the finals. They lost. They lost, had to be the Celtics. For his career, he averaged 27.4 points per game, 4.3 assists, and 13.5 rebounds. Elgin, man, despite my not being around at that time, I went down an Elgin rabbit hole a few years ago. And people talk about how revolutionary Dr. J was and Jordan was. And obviously that's evolved over the years from like your T-Max to your Kobe's to your LeBron's to now your Zion's and your uh, Giannis's. Talking about, oh man, you got what? These guys are physical specimens. Watch, watch the things they do, that these guys do. Elgin just went out there every single night and played his heart out, man. And he did it alongside the NBA logo. Jerry West, who just so happens to be from West Virginia, in case you didn't know, in case you didn't know, and those two continuously led the Lakers to Western Conference championships, and those two consistently fell short. But in between all that falling short for the actual championship, Baylor was 6'5", he was still bigger than a lot of his competition. He had such a, a sweet shot, a sweet little touch on the shot. He played above the rim, as above the rim as he could back then, because, I mean, you, you couldn't really be hung out, you know, you couldn't really do all that back then. I mean, you could, but nobody really was doing it. Like, honestly, the playground is where the taken to the, sky for dunks and stuff like that really took off and eventually made its way into the professional leagues with the ABA and then the NBA once the merger happened but then it was like it was it was cool to dunk but it wasn't like flashy or anything Elgin was just a powerhouse man like 27 a game is no joke he knew how to fill up the he knew how to score he knew how to fill up the bucket he was a great teammate all his teammates loved him and he was a consummate professional. And if it hadn't been for his injuries, we may have gotten a few more years out of him. He may have been a part of the 1972 Lakers that not only set a season record for the most wins back then with 69, but then went on to finally go over and win the NBA championship after all those years of losing. And Jerry West has even said in his book, West by West, how disappointing it was for him to win that championship knowing that Elgin had tried to come back earlier that year and couldn't do it and had to retire. And he wasn't there to finally share in the victory. He said it was a bittersweet victory because all those years him and Elgin fought the Celtics and Bill Russell and never getting through. When they finally break through and win the NBA championship, Elgin wasn't there. And it broke Jerry's heart and made it a little bittersweet. Now, I'm going to read you a couple things that I, I ripped from the headlines, so to speak. 
Baylor was also one of the first high-profile black athletes to join the civil rights movement and refused to just shut up and dribble years before anyone even used the phrase. So as much crap as LeBron gets, or or just athletes in general, especially when it comes to kneeling, get, or Kaepernick, as much crap as they get, Elgin was doing this in the 50s and 60s when they hadn't even passed the, like, they hadn't even stopped segregation yet. Everything was still segregated. And here he is speaking out when he plays for one of the most popular franchises in the NBA and he's really putting his putting it on the line. And the Lakers supported him. And I don't remember, I don't think Bus was around quite then, quite yet then. I think he came in in the 70s. Uh, Jack Kent Cook. Jack Kent Cook may have still owned the team back then, but they allowed Elgin to speak out and be a part of these these athletes who were coming together at the time to protest the way things were. Look it up. You can find a few pictures of them with some heavyweights. But another funny West Virginia story, not even funny, honestly. In 1959, during a Lakers game in Charleston, West Virginia, Baylor and two other black players weren't allowed to stay in the team hotel. Baylor said, if we don't stay together, I'm not going to be a part of it. Elgin Baylor didn't play in that game. It was his rookie year. So Elgin not only took a stand for him and him and his other teammate, or other teammates who were black, who were like, oh, you, you, you guys can't, even though you're part of this NBA franchise, and trust me, the NBA is not was not what it was, it was not what it is. The NBA was not as big as it is now back then. But still, you have a professional sports team coming in to um, have a game in Charleston because Hot Rod Hunley, Hot Rod, uh, Hot Rod Hunley, who used to play for West Virginia, um, was going to they're going to have a neutral site game with another team that Hot Rod was on, so that. People from West Virginia could see Hot Rod play because he used to play at WVU. So they're going to have this game in Charleston at the Civic Center. And Elgin's rookie year. You know, most rookies, they go through their hazing and, you know, deal with that and trying to trying to learn the ropes of the league. And, you know, even today, most rookies will come in and even if you're number one pick, you're not going to tell, tell your coach you're not playing nine times out of ten. Uh, unless you're unless you're hurt and you have valid reason, you're not just going to do that shit to do it, and you're definitely not going to say, "Oh, you know what? Well, they shot um, they shot a man uh eight times in the back the other day, so I'm I'm not playing coach. But the rest of y'all can go out there. Nobody did that. Again, shout out to the Bucks, shout out to the Magic for doing it, for walking, and definitely shout out to the WNBA. Every time that I mention that boycott, I want to shout out to the WNBA because they were the ones that were out there talking to the media, and so did the Bucks. But it was more impactful with the, their T-shirts and the bullet hole. It was beautifully protested. But as a rookie, he's just like, I ain't playing. And you know what the rest of the Lakers did? They're like, we support you. Don't play. So the Lakers proceeded to go out there and get their ass bust, get their asses busted. And then L.A. media, oh, well, or Minneapolis, Minneapolis. Media it was like, oh, well, Elgin Baylor didn't play, and and he chose uh, himself over his teammates. He's selfish. He's selfish. 
that followed him for almost the rest of his career about him being selfish and not thinking of the team because he stood up for his right to be a part of the team in a hotel where the rest of the team was sleeping. So he had to deal with all of that before any of it remotely started to get corrected. And hell, we all know it ain't it ain't all corrected. We know that. Last thing I want to mention. He filed an employment discrimination lawsuit against the Clippers in 2009. He he worked for the Clippers for years. He was exe- I think he won executive of the year one time. And he ended up dropping he had racial discrimination claims in there. But he ended up dropping those. And this is against Donald Sterling's Clippers and lost the suit. After he dropped the racial discrimination claims, ended up losing the suit. And we all know Donald Sterling went on to be banned from the NBA for racist remarks in 2014. How much did Elgin have to put up with just to try to be a black executive in the NBA and then have one of the worst assholes who owned the team above him for years, years? And he got a bad rap for that. Oh, you're working with Donald Sterling. Nobody liked the Clippers. Nobody liked the Clippers. Going back to the Jordan rules again, Sam Smith detailed how Jerry Krause hated dealing with the Clippers because they would always try to rip you off on trades. And it wasn't Elgin. It was Sterling always trying to turn sugar into shit, essentially. It's a lot. It's true. It's facts. Imagine what Elgin put up with for all those years just trying to be a black man in the front office in the NBA. Dealing with Sterling and then for him to ultimately lose his case against the Clippers for employment discrimination and then turns out five years later everybody finds out Donald Sterling's true colors. So there's a lot more to Elgin Baylor than you may think. A lot more. But most importantly, rest in peace, Elgin Baylor. I, I've always been a big fan of yours. Okay, Not always, but I have been a big fan of yours for several years now. Like I said, ever since I went in that deep dive, it was kind of spurred by Jerry West mentioning you, as well as some other things I had seen around that time. And you can just go to YouTube and type in Elgin Baylor. You're going to find some quality stuff. And you're going to be shocked at the things that he was able to do back then. And shocked that he was unselfish enough to make it still work in the Lakers system because he was so talented. He could have been doing way more scoring and he could have, he could have had more offensive opportunities for himself because he was so talented. But for as much as he got called selfish for not wanting to, for not wanting to play when they wouldn't let him stay in the same hotel as the team, he's always, played unselfishly, and tried to put the team first. His points would come, but Elgin made all his teammates around him better, and everybody loved him. So, Elgin Baylor, rest in power, sir. Another recommendation, go to YouTube, Elgin Baylor. Any books you can read about Elgin Baylor? He actually has an autobiography, I think. Um, I'm going to have to check that out, uh, because I really need to... I need to read more, guys. So why not pick up Elgin Baylor's book? Or just watch some YouTube clips. Because he's he's really dope. He's on the 50 greatest players 
in the 35 and he's on the 50th the 50 he's on the 50 greatest players list for a reason and i'm sure he will be um when the 75th anniversary comes around again what makes me want to get close to someone and snuggle fear salutations i'm melisette and on a frightful fret with melisette I read classic horror stories combining audiobooks and audio drama into a podcast. Come away with me into the darkness and let me make your ears tingle with a sensation of terror. A Frightful Fret with Melisette. Available everywhere podcasts are and find us at ourfrightfulfret.net. Don't forget. So in further NBA news, Paul Pierce and ESPN have parted ways. (laughs) (laughs) oh yo marcus just sent me that video of paul pierce and the strippers and now espn and paul pierce have parted ways (sighs) i mean i I ain't got nothing for Paul Pierce. I got nothing for him. What the hell, Paul Pierce? What the hell? (sighs) Lastly, last topic. I just want to take a few minutes to tell y'all about the 30th anniversary of what is my favorite kid and play movie. It's not House Party 1. It's House Party 2. Came out in 1991, that long ago, 30 years ago. I ran across this, uh, I believe it was actually one of those deals where USA had it on one night. So I popped in the, the tape into the, into the old VCR and I recorded it. And I ran that movie nonstop. And I don't know what it was about that movie. So let me give you a little little catch you up real quick on what happens in House Party 2. So most people know in House Party 1, it was about them having a house party and and kids sneaking out and then getting caught at the end of the movie. And, you know, things happen, funny situations. Tisha Campbell. What up, though, Tisha Campbell? Well, House Party 2 is his father's past, of course. Because he was played by the late great Robin. Oh, Robin. Robin Harris. Before I even got there, Robin Harris played his dad in the first movie. He passed away shortly after they completed filming. And so, in the second one, as it begins, it is shortly after his father has passed. They find out that. Actually, I think his church, kids' church, has put up enough money to pay for a kid to go to college. Now, I don't know if this is like full tuition for four years or if it's just a semester or one year, but apparently it's a lot of money, a lot of money in 1991. Somehow, play is tasked, Mr. Responsibility Play is tasked with taking kid to college. And kid leaves his tuition in play's car for play yeah so 
Kid realizes this after he moves in and meets his uh, roommate Jamal, who is played by I don't know. Okay, I don't know who Jamal's played by, but he's played by a white youth who has dreadlocks and also busts out a rap later in the movie. <laughs> Jamal's cool as hell though. And then you know, Kid goes to play, pay for his tuition, and his tuition didn't pay. He didn't have money, so he hits up Play. He's like, "Oh, I left money for Play," and Play has a job at a record store. He's being Mr. Responsibility, having sex behind the counter. He's like, "Oh, I'll get you your money. I get you your money." In walks Iman, and I, I don't want to say it's the same dude who played Juana Man, but I feel like they're very close. They're very similar looking, and so the whole plan is Iman's like, "Oh, I can. I've heard you rap and." I can make you famous play. We'll cut a demo and everything. Just uh, it just needs some starter money. She's a scam artist. Play falls forward, hook, line, and sinker, and gives her kids tuition money. So now, kid has to break it to, play has to break it to kid that he gave away his tuition money and he has no way to pay for school. So kid is worried sick he's going to be kicked out of school. So kid decides... He's going to get a job. So he was working in like the school cafeteria and meets a, a very serious gentleman who used to be in the, in the military at some point. They form a rough bond, but things are going well there. He's he, kids in classes. And at first kid just wants to mess around with Tisha, Tisha's character. And Tisha's like trying to be all serious. We're here for school and everything. Then this motherfucker Miles walks in and let me tell you, Miles is one of them chocolatey brothers. And uh he ain't hard in the eyes, but Miles is a Miles is trash. Because Miles is not only trying to break up Kid and Tisha Campbell, but then Miles also forces himself on Tisha Campbell later in the movie. He gets his comeuppance, but it's not cool. Meanwhile, Full Force is running around campus as campus police. So they're getting into all kinds of shenanigans and messing with Kid and Jamal. And play when they can, you know. Still being funny. Kid is still, meanwhile, scrambling to find tuition money. And the deadline for him to pay and not get kicked out of school is quickly coming up. So, what do you do when you need to make money real quick? You throw a house party. And not just a house party, you throw a pajama jam. And not just throw a pajama jam, you throw it on campus in the biggest actually in the cafeteria where kid works where he has earned the trust of that militant dude to have the keys to the cafeteria so we're have a big campus party we'll make all the money kid needs everything will be fine and of course Bilal's running around too shout out to Martin Lawrence well the party goes off just like normal meanwhile kid and Tisha had broken up Tisha started seeing Martin Queen Latifah pops up as um as a character who is um very, very part of the Back to Africa movement back then, you know, Black Power, the the early 90s Black Power movement, um, like when, right before, this is right before Malcolm X came out, so we got real political again in the early 90s, and then by like 94, we're like, okay, and then OJ happened, so that all kind of went out the window. But Tisha's running around as uh, Tisha's roommate and everything like that. And apparently Tisha's making a, or I'm sorry, Latifah is making Tisha not act like herself. And her and kid break up. So Tisha starts seeing Miles. And Miles is like a TA, teacher assistant. And Miles is trash. 
So not only at this party that they need to raise money at, for the pajama, at the pajama jam in the cafeteria that they're using without permission, while full force is trying to find them on campus and shut the party down. They have Ralph Tresvant performing, who had only been a solo artist for about a year at that point, but here he is at Pajama the Jam. And not only that, they have Tony, Tony, Tony performing at their party at Pajama Jam, who had only been out for a few years. And I mean, how, how did you pull off Tony, Tony, Tony and Ralph Tresvant in the movie? Who cares? It's a movie. And not only that, in between everything else going on with them trying to pull off this party without getting busted, Kid and Play managed to hop up there and bust out a dope performance themselves. Fun is had by all. Well, eventually, Amon is trying to scam someone else. I think it's Latifah, I believe. Trying to get her to uh, give, give up the money so that they can steal her money too. Play Caesar. And then a Scooby-Doo-like chase through the hallways happens and this is after miles pretty much drugs tisha's character yeah and is planning to date rape her that that's kind of where it was going thankfully tisha starts to come to towards the end kind of comes to her senses like oh help me kid help me and then kids trying to save her plays trying to get to Amon. uh latifah's after Amon because she's trying to be scammed so they're all running through doors and everything like that it's just crazy hijinks at the end and I'm trying to remember how it all ends. They're on a roof, and I think at some point, Kid falls off the roof. Play saves him and pulls him up, and the day is saved to catch him on. They don't get their money back, though. Uh, but right after everything's done and everything, everybody's getting their comeuppance, the party gets busted by, like, the... Uh, the Not the warden. The uh, president of the school. Let's call him that, because I can't think of the other word for him. And then uh, the his boss at the cafeteria kids boss bust in so everything's busted they lose all the money to fix the repairs the toilet gets broken again and kid kind of says goodbye to everybody on campus everybody because he can't pay for anything he says goodbye to to uh the guy who runs the cafeteria who um he had bonded with and kind of forgive each other he goes sees that professor who was getting along with really well and they have some real poignant moments together and then uh, kid play's supposed to pick kid up and take him back home, and so here comes kid instead of or, or sorry play instead of being in foreplay his super nice car he's in a hoopty, and they're like oh man, uh where's your where, where's foreplay? And then play's like you know what I sold foreplay so you're an investment now and it gives kid all the money and then kid can stay in school and then roll credits and Jamal's all happy they can stay and then the credits roll and that's the end of the movie. I love House Party too. I don't know what it is. It it just really hits a certain spot for me. House Party One's great though. But happy anniversary to House Party Two. So now that I covered all of that, all of that. One more time. Hyphen Nation is brought to you by Hyphen Podcast Group, Morgantown, West Virginia-based podcast collective. I'm not supposed to say that part. Bringing Greek podcasts to the people. We're trying to be global now, people. And The Mark Rob, written by my semi-regular co-host, Marcus Show Mad Love Robinson. TheMarkRob.wordpress.com. T-H-E-M-A-R-C-R-O-B.wordpress.com. Okay. So just like we did with DMX. 
Give people their flowers while they're still here. Just like Drink Champs. Okay? Tell people how much they mean to you right now because you never know when it's their time to go. Always tell people how much they mean to you. And on that night, on that night, on that note, on that knife, call your mom, call your dad, call your sister, call your brother, call your aunt, call your grandmother, call your uncle, call your godfather. Uh, grab your kids, hold them, squeeze them, tell them how much you love them, how proud of them you are. Hug your significant other, tell them how much they mean to you. Uh, reach out to a friend, send them an email, DM your work buddy uh, just to say, hey, maybe like in appropriate, appropriate ways for work buddies. Um, send a telegram to a friend who's, who's moved away. Uh, hop on, uh, I don't know, FaceTime. FaceTime your friend who lives in Australia if you got one of those like me. Just make sure you're telling people how much they mean to you. Please do that. The power of positivity is real. Get that negativity out of your life. No matter what you have to do, no matter what you may be, I messed that all up. No matter what you have to do, you got to do you. No matter what you, no matter what it may be, no matter what you have to do, you got to do you. There we go. Okay? Seriously. Try to have genuine interactions with people. You never know what the next man or woman is going through. So your kind words, your positive interaction could save their life or someone else's. So please try to have positive interactions with people. It's so important. So important. Can't stress it enough. Tell a friend to tell a friend about the Barack Obama approved world's greatest podcast, Hyphen Nation. Hyphen Nation can be found on all podcast listening platforms. If you run across Apple Podcast, give me five stars. Leave a bad review, but give me five stars. I'll read the bad review. Uh, just appreciate that. Um, but if there's any podcast platform that you can't find hyphenation on or any of the hyphen podcast group shows, please let me know and we'll get that remedied right away. Okay. Easy as that. Words of wisdom for today. Words of wisdom. As I do that, words of wisdom for today. Take the opportunity to talk to someone while they're still in your life. Um, there's been a few situations where I haven't done that. There's a situation I'm in I'm currently in where I don't want to do that. It's my choice, obviously. But for the people who haven't wronged you, for those people who are aren't bringing you down and aren't bringing negativity to your life. People move all the time. Things change. Situations change. People get new jobs. It's okay to talk to, talk to people when you still can. And then you can look back fondly thinking, you know what, I took that opportunity that I had to, to have dialogue with this person. And now that I can't, I value that time more. So that's my words of wisdom for the day. Apologies not to playoff P tonight. He canceled. Apologies to Paul Pierce. Because you can't come on the show and talk about how you got fired for posting the strippers in your house, Paul Pierce. I, I don't know what to tell you, bro. Just take solace in that championship ring and just know that another check is probably around the corner because somebody's going to hire your dumb ass. <laughs> you dummy. 
how you gonna get on IG live? <sighs> Social media is the worst. Social media is the worst. God. Man. Anyway, I appreciate each and every one of y'all that listen to this podcast. The Barack Obama approved world's greatest podcast means everything to me. I love sitting down and just talking to y'all for an hour or so. Got more stuff coming. Don't you worry about that. So once again, thank you, DMX. Uh, R.I.P. Elgin Baylor. Go watch Bad Boys for Life. And also, watch House Party 2. The 30th anniversary is this year. So, there's that. But, uh, I don't have anything left. I'm sorry. I, w- I wish I did. But that's not true. I could easily go on some tangents on some things. But I think y'all have enough. So I say all that to say this. Thanks, y'all. You've been listening to Barack Obama Approved, world's greatest podcast, hosted by Kellen Conley and his semi-regular co-host, Marcus Schoen Mad Love Robinson. Find Kellen on Twitter and Twitch, at B-Instagram, at TheB-Hyphen, on Facebook, at Hyphen Universe, same for YouTube. Follow Marcus on Twitter at Schoen Mad Love, S-A-O-W-I-N-M-A-D-L-O-V. Email the show, at B-Hyphen, at gmail.com. Music by No Name Tim. This has been a production of Hyphen Podcast Group, hyphenpodcastgroup.com, or hyphenuniverse.com. Have a good rest of your day, everybody, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your week or weekend. Thanks, y'all. This is a Hyphen Podcast production. Are you not entertained?